Hello and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Argus Media, a leading independent provider of energy and commodity pricing information. In this episode of Metal Movers, we'll be talking about the Turkish ferrous scrap price and why it's holding relatively firm despite serious headwinds. My name is Ronan Murphy. I'm European editor of Metal Prices at Argus Media, and I'm joined by Alex Reynolds, our ferrous content coordinator and head of our Turkish ferrous scrap coverage. Soaring energy costs have caused Turkish steel mills to cut production by around 30% year-on-year, with 5% cuts implemented in September alone, and further power price rises expected before the end of 2022. Output was already down 21% on the year in August. Turkish steel exports have been hit hard by surging energy costs. FOB Turkey rebar prices are now around $100 per tonne higher than FOB China rebar, rendering Turkey unable to compete in the lucrative Southeast Asian steel market that has frequently supported both Turkish steel and scrap prices in recent years. These headwinds saw Turkish mills significantly reduce deep-sea ferrous scrap bulk cargo purchases in September, with deals and associated tonnage tracked by Argus down to just 30% of the equivalent numbers in September 2021. And on the supply side, Turkey's lot scrap, the European Union, is also experiencing vast steel output cuts, with over 16 million tonnes of capacity taken offline in response to high energy costs as of last week. Turkey is buying less scrap, and theoretically there should be a glut of availability from its main suppliers. That's a clear recipe for a sharp fall in Turkish imported scrap prices, but the Argus Daily HMS 1-80-20 CFR Turkey assessment was at $368 per tonne on 3rd of October and has averaged 378.75 tonnes per tonne since the start of July, down sharply from the record highs hit in March-April immediately following the start of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, but still comfortably higher than trading levels prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. So, Alex, I suppose the main question here is why hasn't the Turkish scrap import uh, price crashed? What's keeping it supported? Yes, we've seen a floor, price floor at around $350 tonne CFR Turkey for HMS 1 and 2, 20 in the last two rounds, in uh, both in uh, August and in, uh, well, at the end of July and in September. I think there's five major points which tell us why Turkish price has not been able to fall below this level. The first being logistics, particularly in Europe, the rise of South Asia, specifically India, uh, the weaker obsolete scrap generation uh, in exporting regions due to the weaker economy, the long-term absence of Russia as a key swing supplier, and the persistence of Turkish domestic rebar demand even at higher prices. I think the markets are well aware that Russia has been a lot, largely been a long-term absentee in the seaborne scrap markets, primarily kicked off by rising export taxes introduced by the Russian government. We also know that scrap is a product of healthy economies and that weakening economies this year, lower industrial output and the global population's lower turnaround of goods have all led to weaker obsolete scrap generation and lower scrap supply year on year. Something, of course, which is, of course, very difficult to measure. So I think there's the the three points we, we focus on, the logistics issue, particularly in Europe, the South Asian demand, specifically India, and the uh, the persistence of Turkish domestic rebar demand throughout the summer, which have, have helped to stop Turkish scrap import prices from, from crashing, as macroeconomic indicators may suggest that they would. Firstly, on, on Europe, uh, water levels have risen to more appropriate levels in September, following the drought conditions in July and August. 
but this is uh, this is to uh, this uh, just to clarify, Alex. This is the disruption we saw in the summer was very much from drought conditions, historic drought conditions causing extremely low river levels on the Rhine, which very much disrupted barge shipments of scrap from inland locations to European ports. And then you're saying now that 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 is an, a problem that is starting to ease a little. That has eased. You'll have to pay a premium for barges, quite an exorbitant premium still, and that is driven by Europe's need to prioritise transportation of coal over other commodities like scrap to offset the lower gas supply and use coal as a source source of supply for power stations. Uh, supply itself, scrap supply itself, has improved in September, but it's still an issue. Coal demand is clearly strong, and supply itself, scrap supply itself, has been absorbed by India to an increasing degree through September after India's huge increase in bulk buying from August. If we talk more about India, I mean, there's been a number of number of drivers. Availability of DRI in India has been weak. Of course, DRI is coming from the coal natural gas sectors, and we know what's been happening to, to coal and gas prices. And so uh, that's been a clear driver of India substituting DRI for scrap. It's also the uh, the lower freight rates for bulk relative to container freight rates have moved Indian import demand from smaller container ships to, to bulk vessels. Yeah, and I suppose the fascinating thing has been that the difficulty for Turkish steelmakers is that whenever the Turkish price moves to that kind of uh, to that $350 mark and, and below, it's at that point that uh, the kind of cost equation for Indian buyers becomes most attractive. The, I, th- I think some of the kind of Indian bulk freight rates have kind of drifted around maybe a kind of anywhere between 40 to $50 per tonne rate for, for Supermax vessels going uh, from both Europe uh, and the UK into India, which which is low, historically speaking, and is essentially putting Indian buyers in a position where they can get a significant discount on what they would normally be paying for containerized scrap while at the same time being able to offer uh, for kind of European and UK suppliers on an FOB basis anywhere upwards of $10, $20 higher than what Turkey Turkey can offer when the price dips to that kind of 350 or, or slightly below level. And that's why we've seen, I think, these kind of any time it's dipped, that where we've hit that floor and it's bounced up very rapidly. I mean, there doesn't, there's no real stickability at that kind of um, 350 level either, is there? No, I think yeah, you're absolutely right on, on the price perspective. I think from a supply perspective, a volume perspective. I mean, if we take Turkish steelmakers' average steel production rates going into April this year, it's around 80, 85 percent, and we look at them at 50 percent today, that's around a 30 percent fall in steel production. A good 15% was cut at the beginning of April, another 10% through July, another 5% as you as you mentioned after the energy price increase in Turkey on the 1st of September. So at 80 to 85% steel production, Turkish steelmakers were buying about 55 deep sea cargoes. Today they're buying around 30 deep sea cargoes at around the 50% uh, capacity. And when we consider India has bought, well we've heard that they've bought. 15 or 16 bulk cargoes in August and another 18 in September. That's almost totally offsetting the lower number of cargoes, the, the 25 cargoes, roughly fewer that uh, the Turkish mills need nowadays. Uh, and it's clearly a, a reason why when we get to a certain price, which appears to be at that 350 mark, the availability to Turkey dwindles because of the prices India 
paid and also mm-hmm. the uh, volume that has been absorbed. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the thing to, as although uh, it's certainly been the case that as the as the summer progressed, it was India became the the dominant Asian buyer. It was by no means the only Asian buyer. We have this year seen Pakistan buy its first bulk scrap import shipment, deeply bulk scrap uh, import shipment for a long time. Uh, they bought a UK cargo uh, a few months back. Bangladesh is a, a kind of fairly consistent buyer, uh, maybe on a on a kind of annual basis. It kind of will dip in and out of the the deep sea market, but it's it's shown pretty strong demand. And we are, are also, we do also see Europeans now. I don't know; it's not clear exactly how much business has been transacted, but they've been, certainly been looking to offer into markets like Vietnam, where perhaps the demand hasn't been as strong as South Asia, but certainly the freight rates are giving these exporters the ability to to offer almost everywhere. And I think I think it'd be useful, Alex, also to point out these sales into South Asia are, are not just being done from Europe and, and the UK. We're seeing US East Coast, Venezuela. I mean, essentially what we're seeing now is these South Asian buyers are have are competing with Turkey for almost all of its export or uh, all of almost all of its import import um, sourcing essentially. Yes, and as long as the bulk freight rates stay stay below container freight rates, uh, I suspect that will remain the same. That to say that all these regions will be able to sell into India. Mm-hmm. And and is there a sense also that, that this is obviously uh, an unfolding situation, and it does remain to be seen whether this is a kind of more long term structural shift, as you say, it's dependent on the freight rates. But there is, is, is there a sense that perhaps Indian buyers are becoming more comfortable with purchasing bulk shipments? We've seen them, the kind of, they purchase in a, a different way, perhaps to the typical Turkish kind of bilateral transaction. We see a lot of multi-buyer deals done for cargo sold into India, where uh, several buyers will take parcels of, of a single bulk cargo. Do you think it, this is something that both sides, both buyers and sellers, are becoming more comfortable with? And, and if that's the case, do you think that this is a, an avenue that can really, kind of sales avenue that can really persist, even if even if freight rates were to rise from their very current very low levels? Yes, if these purchases remain multi-buy purchases, of course, the buyers can share the freight rates between them. I think uh, clearly from the sell side, there has been, I mean, clearly there's a lot more documentation involved. If you have four or five buyers involved in a deal, there are more LCs to be sorted. And there is clear interest from suppliers to continue doing business this way. And I suppose the the other thing, or just the the consequence of this this Asian demand, you know, at at a very basic level, it's drawing off excess volume that uh, that Turkey would otherwise be able to kind of use as a driver to push uh, prices down. But it's also drawing off excess tonnage building up within kind of these exporting regions as well. So we are, because the Turkish price and because the prices that Asia will pay are staying firm, we are seeing dockside prices for ferrous scrap stay firm at firm levels in Europe, in the UK, in US East Coast. We're seeing even at its even creating a difficulty for domestic prices in these markets to fall, which is um, very unusual considering the scale of the demand destruction that has taken place, especially in Europe with those widespread cuts. Uh, and that does certainly does seem to be the case that we don't seem to be heading into a kind of period of massive excess scrap availability at the moment. I mean, is there anything you think that could kind of change course on this? Not for the time being. I think mm. uh, a lot of this Indian demand has been 
unexpected through August and September and exporters in Europe in particular haven't had a chance or haven't had the opportunity to build stocks partly because of the logistics situation and the drought conditions they haven't been able to build up stocks and go along so a lot of these deals are done on shore basis they a lot of the materials for these deals that have happened over the past six weeks will have to be collected through October so demand at ports will be very strong through the first half of this month and through October and that will of course continue to keep pressure upward pressure on prices into both India and Turkey. Absolutely and let, let's turn now to just uh, discussing that kind of that Turkish domestic rebound market as we as we said the exports have not been a, a major driver of Turkish steel sales this year and even less so as Turkey has become less competitive in numerous overseas markets but we do see persistent Turkish rebar demand in the domestic market and we see even though Turkish rebar uh, domestic prices are are very high relative certainly to uh, prices in other parts of the world they are still able to maintain sales it seems they are still able to maintain the sales of these prices to end users how is this end user demand in Turkey being sustained given the uh, given how high how high the prices are and the other kind of economic uh, headwinds that Turkey's faced how is that demand being sustained and uh, and do you think again is that something that can persist over the winter months well there are ongoing infrastructure projects in turkey demand has had to recover and there has been a building up of stocks since around the beginning of july of course there was two and a half months between april and the beginning of july where demand fell off drastically because stocks were so high after traders vigorous reaction to the global events in at the end of february beginning of march over those two and a half months between april and july they sold off material passed it on to end users and finally at the end of june beginning of july there's been a rebuilding of stocks which has continued throughout the summer turkish mills production cuts which of course have been influenced by weaker steel demand and higher energy costs have aided or even forced demand and of course a very large driver has been the strength of the US dollar and the weakness of the uh, lira also throughout this inflationary environment, which has put upward pressure on lira-denominated rebar offer levels throughout the summer. 1st of August, the lira was at around 17.9 against the dollar. The 1st of September, it was 18.2, and now we're at around 18.58 today. So Turkey's domestic demand, I think, has also been far less volatile in the past eight weeks. It's far more consistent, even though it's for far smaller, you know, fewer volumes. We've seen trading small volumes almost almost every week in the past six to seven weeks, as traders take positions relative to the their expectation that the lira will weaken further. And I think that more less volatile demand that more consistent smaller tonnage demand has helped the Turkish scrap price from making major fluctuations and helped it maintain a spread of around $50 in these eight weeks between $350 and $400. And we have seen of course as a result of the energy costs to uh, to a large extent the spread between uh, Turkish scrap prices, scrap import prices and Turkish rebar domestic and, and export prices increase substantially this year. It's got go kind of moving to well above $300 per tonne. Even though bulk of that spread really is down to the extra energy price cost, do you think it also creates a, a kind of psychological barrier that, that scrap suppliers simply 
they, they cannot accept a certain level of of spread or to to rebar that they, they can if essentially if spread if rebar is at uh, kind of like seven hundred dollars per ton then there's simply no way scrap suppliers are going to dip below 350 even even if a huge chunk of that spread is down to increased energy price costs I think there is that. I also think that the, the scrap sell side are certainly very well aware of the energy prices in Turkey and that they've been constant through from from the 1st of April and we've seen rises on the 1st of September and now on the 1st of October, at least with, with gas prices. So they're well aware the margins that are required. The steelmakers are a lot higher than earlier on this year, than the early part of this year. But I think that they've just not had the ability particularly in Europe, hasn't had the ability to follow Turkey when its demand has dipped two or three times in the past two months for the reasons we talked about, uh, the drought conditions and, and India. I think those two certainly combined have really not been able to allow them to follow Turkish demand when it's tried to push prices below $350. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you uh, very much, Alex. Um, I mean, I think that that's a, a kind of given a, a useful uh, snapshot of why certainly in the immediate term Turkish scrap prices are being supported and being supported above a certain level. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tune into our other episodes to learn about the metals market. And for more information about Ferris Scrap, please visit argusmedia.com. And other than that, thank you very much, Alex. And that's goodbye from us. Mm-hmm.